The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Good Friday, April 10th, 2020, on the basis of verses from Hebrews chapters 4 and 5. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Even when a criminal is very careful to hide their face and hide their fingerprints and not to leave any other evidence at the scene of a crime, sometimes they can still leave evidence behind using only their feet. In fact, there's an entire field called forensic podiatry that studies the evidence left at crime scenes by people's feet. A person's footprint can tell a detective what type of shoe they were wearing when they committed the crime. A person's footprint can tell detectives approximately how tall they are and what their gait looks like. In fact, if there's even a shoe left at the scene of the crime, the the wear pattern on the inside of that shoe can be compared to the wear pattern of a suspect of the crime to see if the two are a match. The evidence left by people's footprints is sometimes so important that years later it was discovered that Ted Kaczynski, also known as the Unabomber, purposefully wore around a, a pair of shoes where the sole was smaller than the rest of the shoe because he wanted to mislead detectives about the true nature of his height. Whether we realize it or not, there's a lot of evidence that gets left behind by our footprints. And the reason that's important is because for the past several weeks, we've been talking all about the footprints that Jesus was willing to leave over every square inch of this mess of a world that we find ourselves in. Well, tonight, those footprints reach their final destination. In fact, you could say that tonight is the night Jesus leaves his final footprint, right there at the foot of the cross. And we need to examine the evidence left by that footprint, not to try and figure out what happened this day. No, the evidence for that is crystal clear. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all agree. In fact, even the most vehement of of skeptics and critics of the Bible generally agree about the basic facts, that there was this man named Jesus, from this town called Nazareth. And outside a city called Jerusalem, he was put to death on a Roman cross. Those are the simple facts, and they are really without dispute. But what do those facts mean? Why are they important? What do they teach us about Jesus, and what do they teach us about ourselves? What difference does Jesus' death make for our lives as we gather this evening to remember it now almost 2,000 years later? Those are questions to which people give all kinds of different answers. And so thankfully, we're not left to try and figure out the answers to those questions by ourselves. No, instead, in all kinds of places in the Bible, including in these verses from Hebrews, God himself gives us the answers. God tells us how we are to understand the evidence that was left behind by that final footprint that Jesus left. As we look at the verses that are in front of us this evening, we're going to see that the forensic analysis of Jesus' final footprint is crystal clear. It might sound a a bit odd to hear that Jesus even left a, a final footprint here on earth. These verses really summarize everything that we've been talking about throughout the season of Lent. The writer of Hebrews says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
So Jesus came to be our high priest. He came to be our stand-in, to put himself in our shoes and to walk everywhere that we have walked. And if that's the case, then how does that work ever come to an end? How is that work ever finished? In fact, that's a question that's occurred to me as I've now reached a stage in my life that is beyond the age that Jesus ever reached. So I can understand how, how Jesus went through the different tests and temptations that, that a toddler faces and that a teenager faces and that a 20-something faces. But how did Jesus ever go through the temptations that are presented by a midlife crisis or by retirement or by old age? If Jesus really came to walk everywhere that we walk, how does that work ever come to an end? Well, even though they come in a variety of different shapes and sizes, really the essence of every single test that we face is the same. Those tests come anytime there is a collision of wills between us and God. God wants one thing, we want another. And of course, anytime that collision of wills happens, it is our responsibility to obey God, to take our will and submit it to his. That also means that the essence of every single sin that we commit, even though they come in a variety of different shapes and sizes, the essence is really all the same. Those footprints that we've left, as we consider the mountain of evidence that those footprints bring to the table, we realize that they all have a very striking similarity. Each one is, is evidence of an example when rather than submitting our will to God's, we actually exerted our will over God's. Where God said, I, I want you to step here, but we wanted to step somewhere else instead. And so we see our footprints go astray. It doesn't matter whether we were lying or gossiping or losing our temper. It doesn't matter whether it was a dirty joke or a dirty thought. It doesn't matter whether it was a sin that caused harm to a whole lot of people or whether it harmed no one at all. The essence of every single temptation, every single test that we face is the same. It's that collision of wills, and the essence of every single sin is the same. It's our failure to obey. And so we might be tempted to think, well, did Jesus really ever face any test like that? It's a little bit difficult for us to know what it was like for Jesus to be tested, to, to lie, to cheat, or to, to steal. Because Jesus never wanted to do those things the way that we do. His will was perfect. When it came to those sins, his will and his Father's will never really collided. In fact, that didn't happen, at least not fully, until the time approached for Jesus to leave that final footprint here on earth. As a human being, it was only natural and, in fact, only right for Jesus' will to recoil at the thought of him dying. Human beings were not created to die. And so it's no wonder that as the time for that death approached, Jesus asked God. In fact, Jesus begged God and cried out to God that God would somehow save him from that death, that God would find a way where he didn't have to go through it. That collision of wills was taking place at that time. And yet when the answer from the Father came back, no, Jesus willingly submitted his will to the will of his Father. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus' final footprint presented him with the test that is really the essence of every single test that we face. Jesus' final footprint forced him to learn that very difficult lesson. Okay, so where does that leave us? What lesson does Good Friday then teach us? Well, if every footprint that Jesus left was a footprint he left as our high priest and as our stand-in, then those footprints ought to have some serious implications for our footprints. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So every step that Jesus took, including his very last, was a step that he took in our place and a step that he took flawlessly. And because that is the case, we can now take our feet and we can approach God's throne. We can approach God's throne, in fact, boldly and confidently, knowing that even though so often our footprints have gone astray, when we arrive at the throne of God, we will find, as the writer says, only grace and mercy. As we approach God's throne, we might be weighed down with feelings of guilt and regret over the things that we've said and done. But when we arrive at that throne, we hear God in heaven say, what things? What sins are you talking about? I I, I don't remember any of them. They've all been forgiven. We might approach God's throne of grace with feelings of worthlessness, feeling like we are utter failures, complete disappointments to God, especially as we compare ourselves to other people. But, but when we arrive at God's throne, we hear God tell us how pleased and how proud he is of us, just as a father is of his children. And not only does Jesus work as our high priest, pave the path for us to approach God's throne of grace now, it also paves the path for us to approach God in eternity. The writer goes on to say this, that once made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. Sounds so easy, right? Sounds all so wonderful. Jesus' footprints pave the path for us to approach God now and in eternity. But we need to pay very careful attention to what the writer says, especially that part I didn't get to quite yet. He says that once made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. In other words, the test that Jesus was presented on Good Friday is the very same test that we are presented with by Good Friday. Here, too, there is going to be a natural collision of wills where Jesus wants one thing and we want something else. So the big question is, what What does Jesus want? What does it mean to obey Jesus? We might be tempted to think that that means that we follow where he has walked, that we we follow his example, that we're good little boys and girls, and we imitate the obedience that he showed. Of course, Jesus wants us to do those things, but that's not what this is talking about. That's not what Jesus wants from us first and most. I mean, think about it. If every step that Jesus took was a step that he took as our high priest— as our stand-in, if every footprint that he left, including that last and most dreadful one, was a footprint that he left in our place, instead of us, and for all of us, then what would Jesus possibly want more 
than for us to look at that work that he did and gratefully receive it. To trust in that work that he did for what he tells us that it is, namely, finished. That's what Jesus wants from us. We, of course, by nature, don't want that. We don't want that at all, in fact. We, we look at the work that Jesus has done, and we, by nature, think that there's still something that we can contribute to it, or some way in which we can sort of replicate it and, and copy it. You might say that we're sort of like a person who gets invited out for a fancy meal at a very expensive restaurant, where the person who's invited us pays for everything. They pay for the appetizers and the beverages and the main course and the dessert. They take care of the entire expensive bill, and yet even after all of that's done, there's something inside of us that, that causes us to want to leave the tip, just to feel like we've contributed something. Or you might say we're, we're sort of like that child whose mom or dad builds this beautiful, elaborate castle out of their wooden blocks. And, and the child loves it and admires it, but the second that it's done, the child knocks it over. Why? So that he can try. So that he can try and copy what mom and dad did. We want to believe that we're the reason we can approach God's throne. We want to believe that, that we are the source of our own salvation. But trusting in Jesus' work means admitting that that's not the case. It means admitting that there's nothing we can do, and in fact, it means admitting that anything that we would do would only undo what Jesus has done. In fact, that's probably the most painful lesson of Good Friday. Yes, it is very painful to see our Savior Jesus suffering the way that he did. It's painful to think that it was our sins that put him there. It's painful to think that that punishment he received is the punishment that we deserve. But hands down, the most painful thing at all, of all, is being forced to admit that there's absolutely nothing that we can contribute to Jesus' work and absolutely no way in which we can replicate Jesus' work. It's simply trusting Jesus, trusting him that what he says about his work is true, that it is finished. That is the very difficult lesson that Good Friday teaches us. Thankfully, even though it's a, a difficult lesson, it's also a very obvious one. Probably the, the most familiar word that is often associated with Good Friday is that word that Jesus spoke from the cross, that word finished. That word finished is very much related to a word that the writer of Hebrews uses here, where he says that Jesus was made perfect. We could just as easily translate that to say that Jesus' work was was finished. But there's one important difference. You see, here in Hebrews, that word is used in the passive voice. In other words, from the cross, that analysis of Jesus' work was given by Jesus. He said, it is finished. But, but here we're told that the analysis of Jesus' work was given for Jesus by someone else. You see, a funny thing happens when someone dies they lose their ability to speak. They lose their ability to serve as their own witness or provide any sort of testimony. I mean, just think how many murders could be solved if the victim of the murder could just tell the detectives what happened. All forensic podiatrists on planet Earth would instantly be out of a job. Well, when it comes to this most difficult lesson of Good Friday, we are not left with nothing more than the testimony of a now dead man. Yes, on the cross, Jesus said that his work was finished, but soon enough, his Father in heaven would give that same analysis, would give that same 
verdict. He would tell the whole world that that work is finished. And so if you're struggling on this Good Friday to learn that lesson, if you are in any way weighed down by guilt or regret, if you are feeling inadequate or worthless, if you are still convinced that there is something that you need to contribute or some way in which you need to replicate Jesus' work, if you are in any way struggling to learn that difficult and painful lesson that Good Friday teaches, well, just give it a few days, like Jesus did. Sleep on it for a couple of nights, like Jesus did. And rest assured that when you wake up, that most difficult and painful lesson of Good Friday will also be painfully obvious. And that forensic analysis of Jesus' final footprint will in fact be crystal clear.